brought to you by Charity Mobile, the phone company that sends 5% of your monthly plan price to your favorite charity. No contracts, nationwide coverage, risk-free guarantee. Learn more at CharityMobile.com. On the Saturday, we return to the topic of Pope St. Pius X's landmark encyclical, Pescendi Dominici Gregis. Last month, we spoke about how with the modern, this, there were five errors of the modernists, and we covered the first two. Vital eminence among them, which is, I think, the most important of them, at least for what we see today. And we, see, we saw vital eminence, or vital imminence, rather, in the Synod on Synodality. The final document issued by that synod was a love letter to essentially religious relativism, a this idea that we have to listen to the feelings of people, that true religion springs from the, the well of feelings and emotion. It's a dangerous error, one that has no ground of reason or rationality to rest on whatsoever and cannot even be swayed by evidence. And for more information on that, I recommend, if you haven't, watch my previous episode on Pius X, which was from about a month ago. Today, we delve into what happens when the modernists, what they do to history. They usually tell us that, for instance, well, the early church did communion in the hand. Not true. One doctor of the church spoke positively about it, but virtually all the rest said no to communion in the hand. That's one example. He doesn't mention communion in the hand, but what you see end up happening is the modernists gain a foothold of power and influence in the church. They foist a change on the church they cite something from history, and really they're twisting the history, if not utterly destroying it and fabricating it themselves. And communion in the hand is just one great example. The deaconettes issue in our time is another one. Today, we examine the twisting of history and some other errors of the modernists in a very short examination of an otherwise dense topic, because Pescendi is too dense, I think, for most people to just read or listen to in one sitting. So... We do this piece by piece. Let me know what you think of this at the end. Deformation of Religious History, the Consequence However, in all this process from which, according to the modernists, faith and revelation spring, one point is to be particularly noted, for it is of capital importance on account of the historico-critical corollaries which are deduced from it. For the unknowable they talk of does not present itself to faith as something solitary and isolated, but rather in close conjunction with some phenomenon, which, though it belongs to the realm of science and history, yet to some extent oversteps their bounds. Such a phenomenon may be an act of nature containing within itself something mysterious, or it may be a man whose character, actions, and words cannot, apparently, be reconciled with the ordinary laws of history. Then faith, attracted by the unknowable, which is united with the phenomenon, possesses itself of the whole phenomenon, and, as it were, permeates it with its own life. From this, two things follow. The first is a sort of transfiguration of the phenomenon, by its elevation above its own true conditions, by which it becomes more adapted to that form of the divine which faith will infuse into it. The second is a kind of disfigurement, which springs from the fact that faith, which has made the phenomenon independent of the circumstances of place and time, attributes to it qualities which it has not. And this is true particularly of the phenomenon of the past, and the older they are, the truer it is. From these two principles the modernists deduce two laws, 
which when united with a third which they have already got from agnosticism, constitute the foundation of historical criticism. We will take an illustration from the person of Christ. In the person of Christ, they say, science and history encounter nothing that is not human. Therefore, in virtue of the first canon deduced from agnosticism, whatever there is in his history suggestive of the divine must be rejected. Then, according to the second canon, the historical person of Christ was transfigured by faith. Therefore, everything that raises it above historical conditions must be removed. Lately, the third canon, which lays down that the person of Christ has been disfigured by faith, requires that everything should be excluded, deeds and words and all else that is not in keeping with his character, circumstances, and education, and with the place and time in which he lived. A strange style of reasoning, truly, but it is a modernist criticism. Therefore, the religious sentiment, which through the agency of vital eminence emerges from the lur lurking places of the subconsciousness, is the germ of all religion, and the explanation of everything that has been or ever will be in any religion. The sentiment, which was at first only rudimentary and almost formless, gradually matured under the influence of that mysterious principle from which it originated, with the progress of human life, of which, as has been said, is its form. This, then, is the origin of all religion, even supernatural religion. It is only a development of this religious sentiment. Nor is the Catholic religion an exception. It is quite on a level with the rest, for it was engendered by the process of vital eminence in the consciousness of Christ, who was a man of the choicest nature, whose like has never been nor will be. Those who hear these audacious, these sacrilegious assertions are simply shocked. And yet, venerable brethren, these are not merely the foolish babblings of infidels, these are many Catholics, yea, and priests too, who say these things openly, and they boast that they are going to reform the church by these ravings. There is no question now of the old error, by which a sort of right to the supernatural order was claimed for the human nature. We have gone far beyond that. We have reached the point where it is affirmed that our most holy religion, in the man Christ as in us, emanated from nature spontaneously and entirely. Then this there is surely nothing more destructive of the whole supernatural order. Wherefore the Vatican Council most justly decreed, If anyone says that man cannot be raised by God to knowledge and perfection which surpasses nature, be that he can and should by his own efforts and by constant development attain finally to the possession of all truth and good, let him be anathema. The Origin of Dogmas So far, venerable brethren, there has been no mention of the intellect. Still, it also, according to the teaching of the modernists, has its faith, its part in the act of faith. And it is of importance to see how. In that sentiment of which we have frequently spoken, since sentiment is not knowledge, God indeed presents himself to man, but in a manner so confused and indistinct that he can hardly be perceived by the believer. It is therefore necessary that a ray of light should be cast upon this sentiment, so that God may be clearly distinguished and set apart from it. This is the task of the intellect, whose office it is to reflect and analyze, and by means of which man first transforms into mental pictures the vital phenomenon which arises within him and, exp and then expresses them in words. Hence the common saying of the modernists, that the religious man must ponder his faith. The intellect then, encountering this sentiment, directs itself upon it, and produces in it a work resembling that of a painter, who restores and gives new life to a picture that has perished with age. That smile is that of one of the leaders of modernism. 
the operation of the intellect in this work is a double one. First, by a natural and spontaneous act, it expresses its concept in a simple, ordinary statement. Then, on reflection and deeper consideration, or, as they say, by elaborating its thought, it expresses the idea in secondary propositions, which are derived from the first, but are more perfect and distinct. The secondary propositions, if they finally receive the approval of the supreme magisterium of the church, constitute dogma. Thus, we have reached one of the principal points in the modernist system, namely the origin and the nature of dogma. For they place the, do the origin of dogma in those primitive and simple formula, which under a certain aspect are necessary to faith. For revelation, to be truly such, requires the clear manifestation of God in the consciousness. But dogma itself, they apparently hold, is contained in the secondary formula. To ascern the nature of dogma, we must first find the relation which exists between the religious formulas and the religious sentiment. This will be readily perceived by him who realizes that these formulas have no other purpose than to furnish the believer with a means of giving an account of his faith to himself. These formulas therefore stand midway between the believer and his faith. In their relation to the faith, they are an adequate expression of its object and are usually called symbols. In their relation to the believer, they are mere instruments. What did you think of that? Did, what did you think of his assertion that sentiment plays a key role in the origin of dogmas? Again, I bring this back to the Synod on Synodality. We have been told by Cardinal Mueller and by others that the true purpose of the Synod is to put laity in charge of the, of the church so that they then can determine what is dogma or not, what is doctrine or not. And this, of course, will be based on sentiment. What do they feel is true religion or not? That we have been told by critics of the Synod who were there, who saw it and while it was running, tried to rein things in and keep it Catholic, but who, by their own admission, could not do so. Do you think his origin, St. Pius X's origins of dogmas here is accurate? That what he has to say? That it comes from sentiment and relativism? And it... it which then destroys true true religion. Very curious what you have to say about that. So let me know in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help. So to sharing it on social media, that helps too. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.